You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Hey, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors. Guys, thanks for getting up. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us. It's a little bit toasty, but man, we'll make it better toasty than frozen, I think. Uh, and you picked a good Sunday to join us because we are in the middle of a series right now called This Is Jesus. So if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today, John 1. Uh, if you don't, I don't know, we'll get out of John 1 someday, but it's not today. Um, if you don't have a Bible before you leave, we got a stack of them right over here. Just grab one, take it home. Absolutely free. That's our gift to you. We just want to set that into your life. But um, I, I kind of want to set this up the right way. So every week in the series, what we've been doing as we're going through John is we've been asking a different question about Jesus, right? So the very first week, what we did was we asked, okay, who is Jesus Christ? Like, if you were to ask the people who were closest to him, how would they respond to that question? Because everybody's got an opinion about Jesus, true or false, but everyone's got one. And so we said, listen, from from the gate, what we would see is John, who wrote the gospel, John, who was Jesus' best friend, he would say unequivocally, Jesus was and is God, that he's God in a bod. That when John opens up, it says the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and blood and dwelled among us. So from the gate, that's who John thinks Jesus is. And then last week, what we did was we said, okay, well, why did Jesus come? I mean, there's never been a shortage of religion in the world. So, so why, why another one? Why did Jesus show up in creation? Like, what was that all about? Why did he do that? And we said, okay, listen, according to this guy, John the Baptist, not John the gospel writer, but John the guy who baptizes people, it was threefold. Number one, he came because he's king, and so he wants to be the Lord and leader of our lives. Number two, that he came to be the Lamb of God. He came to wipe away your sin and mine and to make us right with God. And number three, he came to baptize or fill us with the Holy Spirit change us, empower us, make us new people. Now, all that said, and I just want to remind you again today, we got fans in the seats. So if you get toasty, grab one. Woo-hoo. Okay, maybe it's the lights on me. I don't know. Look, today as we go forward, I want to set up this question the right way. So um, in my line of work, every now and then I do weddings. You know, like I, people get together, they invite me to come officiate their special day. And weddings are really interesting because they're kind of like, they're just a magnifying glass for everything that's wrong with you as a person. I mean, just, they are, like, like they're, just, they're a hub of insecurity. I mean, they really are. Like, so, like, you, man, you think you've got self-image issues. Man, when your wedding day approaches, you're like, okay, I could lose 10 more pounds. Okay, I could, I could you know, it was my fashion sense, right? Let me spend all this money on a dress or that, that I don't, I can't afford. Like, I need, I, need, I need flowers. I need the right flowers. My family will disown me if I don't have the right flowers. I mean, like, what is that? It's insecurity, and the really interesting thing that happens in the world of weddings, if you're a pastor, is this. You, like, and this is the fun part. The fun part is you get to meet a bunch of people who do not go to church and kind of dislike you simply because you're the leader of one. And the fun part is this. It gets even better because, you, like, every now and then you meet somebody, and like, sometimes, like, they'll either sort of keep you at distance because they're, like, afraid of you and they're distrustful of, of religious figures. So they just kind of look at you and they avoid the contact. But sometimes it's the exact opposite. Sometimes they want to use you as the sounding board for everything that they think is wrong with organized religion. And they'll just, they'll just tell you, like, they'll unpack all of it. 
And some of you, you need to wake up. Okay, look. So like, they'll, like, they'll just kind of like, okay, oh, you're a pastor? Yeah, well, let me tell you about what happened when I was in third grade with what this teacher said to me. I'm like, oh, all right, I guess. I wasn't there, bro, but all right, let's go. One time I was doing a wedding, and the best man was unloading everything that he thought was wrong with Sunday school. I'm like, they don't even have Sunday school. I don't know what you want me to say right now. And then he made the statement, like he was talking about like how he felt like religion had failed him, and he made this statement that I thought was really, really powerful. He said this, I mean, he's kind of out of nowhere. He just went, I don't have a problem with Jesus. Jesus has a problem with me. And I was like, whoa, really? But how many of us, when it comes to Jesus, we assume that Jesus loves us, but he kind of doesn't like us? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like Jesus, like he's holy, he's God, so therefore he should love everybody. But really, like if Jesus were to walk on stage right now, he'd probably start calling us out individually with all the things that we do wrong in life and all the ways that we've let God down, we assume. Which is why I think today, as we begin to go further in the life and ministry of Jesus, we need to frame our reading of this text with a big question. Here's what it is. Who does Jesus want? Who does Jesus want? If Jesus wanted somebody to be his follower, if Jesus wanted to be in somebody's life, who would it be? What type of person would they be? What would they be about? What would they care about? What things would they practice? Who does Jesus want? And I think the answer is going to surprise a lot of us. So just to recap, here's where we've been. Last week, we ended this story of John the baptizer with him proclaiming, listen, it's Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the King. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, look at Jesus, not me. Look at Jesus, not me. Look at Jesus, not me. It's just all about, listen, here's the guy that we've been waiting for, right? Okay, the story today picks up right where the last one left off with John repeating himself. John the baptizer, not John the gospel writer. It gets confusing, but don't worry, we're not going to have this conversation much more. So in John 1, starting verse 35, it says this, the next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. So John's there by the Jordan River. He's baptizing people, and two people who've been following him, have been walking with him, are there. And says, as it says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God! He's kind of involuntary, just comes out of him. He can't help it. Like, he's, because his mission in life is to point to Jesus. So Jesus is just walking by. It's like, ah! But check this out. <laughs> when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They get up and they leave. Now, just for a moment, again, sometimes with us in church, we become cliquish and we assume that if somebody leaves us, it means they're not following him. So let me just clarify. It ain't about us. It's not about John. It's not about Bert. It's not about Josh. No, it's about Jesus. And John has no problem with them getting up and going after him. In fact, there's going to be a big story point about that later on. But, but here's the deal, okay? So they follow after Jesus. But check this out. So it says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, can we just appreciate that the very first spoken words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are, what do you want? Like, does anyone else find that hilarious? No, I'm going to keep rolling. Okay, look. <laughs> I do now. I, I, need, I need just to clarify for a moment. There are several statements in the Gospel of John that if you read them incorrectly, it sounds like Jesus is irritated with people. 
right? That basically he's like, what? Okay, that's not what he's saying here. And later on, when he says some other things, we're like, oh, he's not saying what you think, okay? Here's the idea. Right. Thus far, John, who has had cities emptying to follow him, has given Jesus the stamp of approval, right? Like, guys, look at him. He's the one. He's the one. Okay, when you have a prominent public figure endorsing you, it creates kind of a lot of momentum. And so there are people who are going to come after Jesus, who they see him walking, they hear something like that, and they're like, okay, Messiah, okay, Christ, okay, well, and in their minds, Messiah does not mean person who dies. It means military leader, king, someone who conquers. And so they hear this about Jesus, like, all right, maybe if I get in with him now, I'll get some power. I'll get some clout. I'll get some prestige. I'll get a little bit of honor. Like, I'll do well if I follow this guy. So when Jesus turns, like, he sort of turns on, what do you want? He's not asking it with this kind of smugness about it. He's going, listen, what are you looking for right now? What is it that you hope to get out of this relationship? If you're walking with me, if, if you're right here, okay, like, what is it that you hope, I will, as a result of following me, like, what is it that you hope will be accomplished? In, I mean, it's like, just a gut check question. Maybe we should just ask that of ourselves. Like, hey, man, like, what is it that we hope to get out of this? Like when you got out of bed this morning, you said, I'm going to drive to a room that's too small, it's too hot, and I'm, I'm going to worship with some people that kind of smell, like, it's, it's fine, but, like, it's the body heat, right? Like, like, like what was it that you hoped would happen? Because there was something. Like, what is it that you want? And now we find the answer to them. So they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, the word rabbi, um, it's a transliteration. What it literally means is great one. But now we begin to understand something, all right? Um, that they're not interested in using Jesus for his power. They want to get to know him personally. Where are you staying? What are you about? If I were to, like, can I just spend some time with you, get to know you? Now, I, I, there, there's just something else I want to just note here, okay? It's interesting that they address him as rabbi. Now, here, here's why. Because that's a very common title to them. Notice that these guys who don't know Jesus from Adam don't begin with sovereign Lord and Messiah. They don't begin with this, like, okay, like, I know who you are already. It's like, okay, listen, Christ, Lamb of God. No, it's, hey, teacher. Hey, my, my former teacher says that you're a teacher. Hey, teacher. And we begin to understand some things about them. That Okay, here are these two disciples, and who they are as people is they're truth seekers. Right, like where they've been in life is they've been hoping that maybe there's something more than where they are. So they've been following John the Baptist until now. And now they're like, all right, well, it's another teacher. Maybe he's better. And they don't begin with this sort of proclamation of his Messiahship. They begin with, hey, guy, teacher. But Jesus, he works with it. And so this is verse 39. Come, he replied, and you'll see. Come and see, experience me. Spend some time, you know what I'm saying? Come, come with me, we'll, we'll go, we'll spend some time together. He says, so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. That's about four in the afternoon. So they spend the entire day with Jesus. He invites them to engage in dialogue and relationship. Now, here's why this is so big, okay? Here are these guys who, okay, they, they've gone from one movement to another. They're just trying to find out, okay, like, is there more? And, and how does this guy Jesus play into all of that? And they don't just sort of jump in full throttle from the gate. 
So if we're going back to our very first question, okay, like who does Jesus want? One of the first groups that we see is this. Jesus wants the seeker. He wants that person who's kind of, it's not, okay, it's not, I'm not necessarily bought in. I'm not saying that, that Christianity is true or anything like that, but I'm willing to just possibly entertain the idea there might be something to this Jesus guy. And so, yeah, okay, like I, I'm willing to have that dialogue. Now, here's why this is important, okay? Because typically the way many of us are presented faith is it's an all in, all, all the time, immediately type deal, Right? It's just kind of like, like you got a friend or family or who you love, who you want to see come to know Christ. You're like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sure, I'm not sure that I'm there yet. I'm sure that I, I necessarily know who this guy is. You're like, well, you have to be in now. Do they? Let me say it this way. So um, a bunch of years ago, I won't say how many, my wife and I were in the market for a new car. Our car was a piece of junk. We decided we were going to get a new one. And we narrowed it down between some Hondas and some Toyotas because that's how we roll. So we went to our local Toyota dealership and they were having their spring celebration sale. So we roll up and they've got like giant circus tents up and they're giving away hot dogs and sodas. And I'm like, all right. So we found, we found the, the Toyota car that we wanted to, to test drive, and it's in like a line of cars. It was sandwiched in, like parallel parking, all like this, just cars everywhere on either end of it. And this, this young guy, who he was 18, he told us, like, brand new salesman, first job ever comes springing out. <laughs> hey, guys, how can I help you today? Like, well, we're interested in that car right there. Well, let me get the keys for you. you know? So goes and gets some, I'm going to keep doing this, it feels good. All right, comes back, come, apparently that's what, how exercise works. So um, comes, gives us the key, and gets, we have a seat in it. So we open the car, sit down inside of it, it smelled good. Like the, uh, Stereo seemed to work. All right. So, I mean, I like it so far. I could, could I take it for a test drive. And he goes, well, sorry, no. Like, because of the line of cars that it's in, like, we can't get it out. So you, you can't take it for a test drive. I'm like, oh, well, I guess then we'll look for something else or somewhere else. And he goes, yeah, but here's the thing. The sale that we're having ends today. So if you want this car at the really good price, you have to buy it right now. And I was like, well, then I guess we're not. <laughs> and we would look at that and we go, well, isn't that ridiculous? Like, who, who would ever buy a car without test driving it? Right? I mean, like, who would, who would ever do that? Who would ever be like, okay, yeah, I'm sure it'll work. And keep turning after I've signed all the papers. Like, no one would ever do that. And yet, why is it that when it comes to engaging the living God and giving your entire life to him, we decide up front it's got to be all. And we decide, okay, like, no, don't you dare explore. Don't you dare ask some critical questions as though the truth can't handle it. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, no, like Jesus invites the discussion. He does it right here, like with this idea. Of, come spend the day with me. You come learn from me. You come learn who I am. And if you spend time with me, you will see exactly what it is that you're looking for. And I would just encourage you, listen, if you're here today, and you're not a Jesus follower. First of all, we're so glad that you're here. But I want you to know that we think Jesus can take your questions. And we think that if you spend some time digging in, you will see him to be exactly who we believe that he is. So seek. That's fine. That's good. Watch what he does with it. So that's the, that's the first group, seekers. Now, our story continues. It says this. Andrew... 
Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. So now we're getting some context, okay, that one of John's secret followers was Andrew, who was uh, Peter's brother. So it says, the first thing <laughs> Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah! That is the Christ. And so Andrew spends the day with Jesus, and just kind of like, you know, if you go to a really good restaurant, you can't help but just tweet about it, right, or Instagram, like take a picture of it, like, oh my gosh, this dish, right? Don't act like you don't. I've seen your social media. My gosh, some of you, like your food looks better than you do. I'm sorry. Anyway, so look, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was harsh and not true. So like, um, <laughs> got to get out of that one. So, but the very first thing is he does is he just, he just oh, I, I, let me tell you about this guy that I met. Oh man, he's the Messiah. He, like, he just can't contain that. And so it says this. So he brought him, talking about Simon Peter, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him. Now I want to pause on this and, for, for just a moment, okay? So Andrew goes, bro, you got to meet this guy. He, he brings him to him, okay? And the word that we translate looked here, it's not this kind of deal where like, hey, a new person. Like, just, like Andrew shows up with Peter and Jesus like, what's up? And just like kind of moves on. That's not the type of look, all right? The, the better sort of translation and understanding behind the Greek word here is that he looks intently at him. Like he just stops, just zones in and stares at him for a second. It's kind of like, I don't know if you remember back when we studied the life of Elisha. There's a story back in 2 Kings 8 where Elisha meets this pagan king, uh, Hazael. And there's this moment where like when, when he, and Hazael is introduced to Elisha, Elisha just stares at him to the point where it makes Hazael uncomfortable. And then Elisha just begins to like start sobbing. Hazael's like, what? He goes, the Lord just showed me like you're going to kill a lot of my people and you're going to kill kids. And like, I just the same type of like staring just like kind of looking into him but not just him but like his future and who he is that's this idea like he looked intently at him because okay, so what does Jesus see when he sees Simon it says this look at this and he said to him you're Simon son of John hey that's who you are but you will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter this name Peter. Remember we talked about how names in the Bible are more than just sounds that you make in someone's direction? They represent the person's character, what they'll do, who they are. Okay, well, the name Peter means rock. Hey, you're Simon, and Simon can mean like one with flat nose or listener. Not that great. I mean, if your name's Simon, it's fine, but like the idea is, the idea is, listen, that's who you are right now, but I want you to know here's who you're going to be, rock. You're going to be one who's stable, dependable, unmovable, reliable, foundational. And here's the funny thing, okay? If you know anything about Peter, you know that's not true of where he is, right? I'm mean, like, if you read any, like, if you read even the rest of this gospel, like, Peter is anything but a rock. He's anything but stable or dependable or reliable. I mean, my gosh, like, he's, he's flaky, okay? Like, I mean, he's, he's prideful at points. There's points where, like, he tries to correct Jesus because he's so arrogant. There are times where, like, Peter, he's a coward, and somebody confronts him on following Jesus, and he's like, I'm out! They're, they're, I mean, like, he's just, he's absolutely inconsistent. He's emotional. He's just he's swayed by any little thing. And even after the resurrection, like, there's a moment after the resurrection where Peter gets petty and jealous over another disciple. Like, he is anything but a like, dependable, stable, foundational guy. But here's the thing, and catch this, okay? <laughs> Jesus sees who he will be, not just who he is. And, and for you and me, I, I think we just need to understand this, and maybe if you're taking notes, write this down, okay? In the face of who you are, Jesus is able to call out who you will be. 
you look at yourself and you disqualify yourself and you're so aware of yourself and, and you know everything that you do wrong and every reason that God should have to get rid of you. And I know why you do it. You're a great you critic. You're around you all the time. You've got a pretty good read on you. And you see all these things about you that are less than Christ-like. Hey, hear me. He sees those things too, but he also sees the you that's designed for eternity and the you that will be later on. And he's very patient. Just, just soak in this for a moment. For, for so many of us who, what we want to do is we want to just sort of, oh God, I'm the worst. And, oh God, I did this. And oh God, I did that. And I'll never be this. And I'll never be that. Okay, I mean, maybe that's who you were, but let me tell you who you will be. He calls out in us the potential. He calls out in us who we could be if God's way was unhindered in us. And fun fact for you, the hope of our faith, the resurrection, is that, is that exactly who we will be. Like at the end, we will be exactly as God intended for us to be. So in the face of who we are, Jesus is able to call out who we will be. And don't let that devil who loves to condemn you and loves to cast you down and convince you that you don't matter to God sow this lie into you that all you are is all that you ever will be. It's not true. It's not true. And you know, if you read the other gospel accounts, you know that John's version of these events is kind of a cliff notes. Like he's leaving a lot out of Peter's conversion to Christ. There's a moment when Peter sort of, it dawns on him who Jesus is. And his response is not, all right. His response is, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And here's why that's important. Because if we're asking this question, who does Jesus want? We've said seekers, but now here's the next one. Who does Jesus want? He wants the sinner. He wants you with all your baggage. He wants you with all your brokenness and all the ways you're jacked up and all the things that you've done wrong and all the ways that you've dropped the ball, the things that the world knows about, the things the world doesn't know about. Like, God wants you, sinner. Hey. And what he's not doing is saying, listen, get it together and then come to me. No. Why? Because he sees who you really are. You're Simon, son of John, but let me tell you who you really are. Soak in that for a moment in a culture that says, listen, I have to be good to be right with God. No, you don't, and you never could be that good. Who does Jesus want? The sinner. So our story continues. So that's two groups. Here's the next thing, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said, follow me. And this is kind of instantaneous, right? So Philip, like Andrew and Peter, it says, uh, can we get here we go? Okay, yeah. Uh, was from the town of Bethsaida. So, okay, so he says this to him. And so Philip's like, all right, I'm in. Okay, fair enough. But check this next part. Um, and by the way, just uh, one thing with Bethsaida, just so that you know, Bethsaida is a fishing town. Not particularly notable. If you're trying to draw people who, who will influence the world, you don't necessarily go recruiting there. But as we're going to discover, Jesus doesn't care a whole lot about geographic upbringing. And so Philip, it says, found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus! Okay, so listen, I, now Philip has the experience. Oh my gosh, I've got to share this. We found him. Jesus of Nazareth. 
And instantly Philip's like, what? Because Nazareth also, not really notable. Like in the first century, if you were to sort of take a, a world trip and go to the, the great wonders of the world, Nazareth would not be on your itinerary. It's not really remarkable at all. So we found him, Jesus of Nazareth. And, Phil, and Nathaniel's like, uh, tell me more about him. He's the son of Joseph. And, and, and Nathaniel's like, who? <laughs> Joseph. Like, is, 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 okay, Joseph, did I miss that? Is he, is he a ruler of some kind? No. I mean, is, is he rich? Not even a little. Does he have some followers? Nope. What's he do? He works with wood. Okay, so rightfully, here's Nathaniel's response. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Bro, I, I've heard of some leaders before, but you're talking about podunk. Like, what, what, what amazing thing would ever happen? That'd be like, if I was like, hey, by the way, the next great leader of the world is coming from Gumboro. Like, <laughs> nobody's taking that bet. <laughs> Sorry, Gumboro. I'm very offensive today. Look. I don't mean to be. Look. Hold on. Here's the thing, though. But just check this for a moment. Because who, can I just speak this over you? Because I want you to understand that you are called people. You are. You've been brought together for this moment to change this world in more ways than you know. Who would ever look at southern Delaware? I mean, southern Delaware. For goodness sakes, we have a store called Perms and Worms. <laughs> Get your bait and tackle while you get yourself hair did. Look. All right. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Hang on. All right. Look. Look. Okay. But hold on. Hold on. Who, who, who would ever look at this and be like, yeah, that's where a movement of God's coming from? Hey, but you know what? Track movements of God from history, they'll come from places that surprise you. You know how many movement of God's have come out of L.A.? L.A.? Lot. or the Midwest, or Florida, like a lot. Because from obscurity, God can do a lot of good things. Don't sell yourself short with what he can do through you. You'd be amazed. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks. But check this out, okay? Because Philip's been spending time with Jesus. And here's the neat thing about spending time with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like Jesus. So remember earlier when the, when the guys came up to like, hey, where are you staying? And his response is, come and see. Look at this, verse 46. Come and see, said Philip. He's soaking into him as a person. Come and see. Let me share this with you. And now the story gets even more fun. So look at this, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, there truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So stranger coming and walking up to Jesus, and Jesus goes, that's the man right there. There's no lying to that guy. There's nothing false. There's nothing crazy. That guy is a man of integrity. Now here's why this is important, okay? 
Because there's a third type when it comes to people who Jesus wants. I think there's actually, unfortunately, a, like in all our modern notions of grace and repentance and all are right and good, and yes, let's, let's fling the doors open, okay? But understand something. There's a third group that somehow gets neglected and downplayed in all this because I think of some bitterness from years past. So let's say, okay, who does Jesus want? We've said seekers, we've said sinners, and now here's the last one, saints. Here's this guy, his entire life he's been trying to follow God. And Jesus would say, yes and amen. Man of integrity, yes. Of whom there is no deceit, yes. So for the man or the woman today who feels like your testimony doesn't matter because, come on, come on. In our culture, we love to tell like the stories that are really, really glitzy and glamorous, right? But if I've been following Jesus since youth camp or whatever, that doesn't sound as good, so maybe like God doesn't work. Like, and then somehow we, we, we develop this misunderstanding. Okay, like, listen, if I wasn't a heroin addict Nazi biker before I knew Jesus, then like, I guess my testimony isn't as good. It's not true. Do, do you understand? Like, 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 if I could just speak this into you, like you've been trying to follow Jesus for your whole life, good. And, and you're, you're a good person. Good, but check this out. So was Nathaniel, and even he needed to be brought into relationship with Christ. In the same way, okay, yeah, you've been working hard, and Jesus would say, I see that. I mean, that's good, but you need me. Who does Jesus want? He wants seekers. He wants sinners. He wants saints. And here's the interesting thing, okay? In this relationship, it's all level playing field. It's not long-time Jesus followers up here and brand-new converts down here. Uh-uh. In fact, if you've been following a long time, you know how much you're really down here. Because he shined a light on your heart, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And you've got to love this. So Jesus just speaks this prophetically to Nathaniel. And his response, I think it's hilarious. Maybe you won't, but I do. So here's Nathaniel's response. Okay, how do you know me? I mean, just like sheer lack of humility in that, right? Like, listen, here comes a man of it, like a true descendant of Israel in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, how'd you know? Like, that's, <laughs> I find that hilarious. Okay. Jesus' answer. I saw you while you were still under the tree, the fig tree, before Philip called you now. It's here that I've got to tell you, when it comes to why that statement is significant, we have no idea. Like, I mean, I've read a bunch of different like, scholarly speculation, like, like fig trees could be this, and, and none of it's really conclusive. Here's what I would just simply say, okay? There's something about this statement that, it, like, that it's very personal to Nathaniel so that when Jesus said it, just instantly something explodes within him. Like, huh. And so here's his response. Then it says, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Because he saw him under a tree. And we don't know why, but man, that means something to him. Why is it that word? I don't know. In fact, Jesus kind of steps back from that. And so it says, Jesus said, well, you, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? <laughs> you're going to see greater things than that. You know, like, fig tree, bro, strap in. You're going to be really amazed. Like... <laughs> Well, this next part, man, this next part is so good. And I want us to catch what happens. So he says that too, and then it says, then he added, very truly, I tell you. Now, I want to pause on that 
for just a moment, okay? There's something we have to understand that's taking place in the narrative that we might not pick up in English. So in, in the original Greek, okay, um, something to know about Greek is the word you, Y-O-U. Um, there are two kinds of it. There's singular and plural, right? So like, you know, like, like uh, there could be you, like, hey, I'm talking like individually like this, or you, it's like, hey, I'm addressing the group, right? Okay. When Jesus says this, truly I tell you, he shifts from talking to Nathaniel individually to the entire group that he's just amassed. Okay, the, the U goes plural here, okay? Now, here's why this is important, okay? Because, again, like, level playing field. He now just turns, and what he's about to say, like, here's what God's going to do, and here's what you're going to see. It's not just Nathaniel. It's the entire group that we've just spent this time learning about. And here's what he says. Very truly, I tell you. He continues. You will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man fig tree. You're going to see heaven itself open and angels going into and out of it on me. And, and that's, a, and, and I think like God, really, we, 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 from the gate understand like, wow, that's neat. But there's a big significance to it. And here's what it is. I don't know if you remember uh, last year when we studied Genesis, okay? And we talked about the life of Jacob. Remember the story like Jacob deceives his father, steals his brother Esau's blessing. And he has to flee for his life because Esau's like, I'm going to kill you for this, right? And so Jacob, there's this moment, Jacob, he leaves everything behind at home. He goes fleeing to Haran and on his way there, he stops to rest. He's left with nothing. Like he has a rock for a pillow. Remember the story? Like he's lost everything. He's despairing out in the middle of nowhere. And it says this in Genesis 28, 12. It says, he had a dream, talking about Jacob, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were, look at these words, ascending and descending on it. And what we studied with Jacob was this idea. Okay, in that culture, they had this belief that heaven met earth in specific points. It wasn't sort of God just reigning everywhere, but no, there were specific places in the world where God would step into it. I'm not saying it's true theologically, but this is what they believe, and God's meeting in there. So when, when Jacob's in the middle of nowhere, and he falls asleep, like, oh my gosh, what will become of me? It turns out, no, he's actually completely in the center of the will of God, right? He's falling asleep exactly where God is. And we learned, that listen, that the three of God was going to bring these people, and God was going to do this thing, but it starts right there, like God's relationship with Jacob begins in this moment. Now, transition back to John. Because when Jesus says, listen, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on me, he's saying a big statement here. He's referring to this. And here's what he's getting at. Number one, you follow me, you're going to be in the perfect will of God. Wherever I am, that's where God is going to be. Wherever I go, that's exactly what God is doing. Number two, I'm the way to heaven. I'm the link between those two worlds. I'm the one who connects heaven to earth. When those two realities become fused into one, when those two things link, just like a stairway or a ladder, depending on your translation with those angels, I'm that stairway. You guys, you heard about a fig tree. You have not seen anything yet. So if we go back and we evaluate this question, for you and for me. Who does Jesus want? As he addresses this, this huge teaching to all of the above. Number one, he wants seekers. 
He wants people who are just after truth. And I would tell you, if that's where you are, ask those questions because you are invited on the journey. Number two, he wants sinners. In fact, he builds great things on sinners as the life of Peter will testify. And if that's where you are, you're like, God could never want me. God could never want to use me. Man, you just bring all your baggage and you watch what he does with it. And three, he wants saints. Your trying heart has not been in vain. Live for him. Live as a light for him. Model that integrity. Show the world what it looks like for somebody to be going after God with everything that they have. But know that you still need him. Who does Jesus want? He wants seekers. He wants sinners. He wants saints. Or I could just say it this way. Hey, who does Jesus want? He wants you. He wants you. And today, as we wrap up, I'm going to do something I do every Sunday. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive him. And if that's not where you are yet, that's okay. Keep on. Watch what he does. But maybe as we've been talking, there's just something stirring in you. You're like, yeah, this is true. Yeah, you know, I don't know why, but I really, like, like the thing, just something just kind of came to life in me. I just believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. And I can't prove it, but I, there's just something in me. I, I know that's true. And that's where you are. Here's your next step. Let's invite him in to be your rabbi. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Here's what we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, I've sought and I've sinned. I've lived for myself. And I believe that you're true. I thank you for not abandoning me, but bringing me to this moment. And I want to confess to you that I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. And so, Lord, I'm handing my life over to you. I'm asking you, be the leader of it. Please fill me with your spirit and show me how to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray and hand it over to you now. Amen.